listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. The ushers are coming forward with Bibles, with kids' packs. You can turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We'll be looking at that in a few moments. And while you're at it, I'm giving you lots of work to do right now. You're going to also uh, look up Matthew 6. We're going to look at that. But also with that, have a pen handy, piece of paper, um, one of those connection cards or one of those cool harvest journals that you can buy at the information desk afterwards to be writing down. I'm going to be giving you, again, a truckload of scripture references for you to be able to write down to study. I'm going to even be telling you, read this this week because you're going, I, I would love for you to take this deeper, not just to sit for you know what, however long that, that it goes here today, and, and then you um, just like, Ooh, forget about it. No, you know what, get after it. You know what, study this. Go online. Listen again if you have to, if I'm speaking too fast for you to write things down. If you want my sermon transcript, I'll email it to you afterwards. Just, just would love for you to just digest yourself in the Word of God, and especially when it's, it's coming across to, to all of you here today. This morning, though, is Exodus 20, Matthew 6, if you can have your um, Bibles ready to go in that. But I'd love for you to answer this question in your mind. Kids, you can even be thinking about this as well, because, because this is something, this message today even pertains to you. Man, if you can get a hold on this, kids, teenagers, at your younger years, it's going to save you a boatload of trouble down the road. All right, we've come to our 10th commandment here, and, and, but I want to start off with this question. My life would be so much better if only... And you fill in the blank. What comes to your mind right away? If my life would just be so much easier, it'd be so much better. I'd have so much more joy. I'd have so much less pain. I would have so much more, less anxiety, if only. What is that, if only? Maybe it's a whole list of things. Maybe it's, if only I was married. Or, if only I wasn't married. Or, if only I had kids. Or, if only I didn't have kids. Or, um, if only I had that new house. Or, or that larger house. Or, that new kitchen. Or, or that new lawnmower. That would be great. If only I had that, just things would be better. If I had a new set of children, I mean, ones I have, God bless them, they're nice, they're good, but if I just had a new set of them, you know, a, a do-over, a mulligan, they do it in golf. Can you do it with kids? You know, uh, maybe a new career or, or a new spouse or a new boss. Or maybe if I just made 10 grand a year more, like that life would just be so much better. I would be able to breathe easier, be able to get out of some of the debt. And some of you are saying, I wish I made 10 grand a month or, or a year. You know, um, you know if, I, if, just a, if I had better health, if only I was taller or thinner or had a face like that or a body like that person's or... One of the places where, where I know I struggle is when you, when you go camping. You know, Charlotte and I, when we were first married, we go tenting. We borrowed someone's tent and we're like, mm, one day we're going to afford one of these tents. You know, and so then we got our own tent. But then it's like, ooh, look at those people. They sleep up off the ground in a thing called a trailer. You know, and, and it's, uh, you know, one of those, you know, we don't need a fancy one, just a tent trailer. And so, you know, you go to the, the tent trailer kind of model style and where we're currently kind of stuck at, although it's a little upgraded than just a tent trailer kind of thing. You you know, and, uh, but it, it, it's basically that, you know, but then you pull into the RV place and you're like, wow, look at that. And you feel kind of small pulling in with your little truck and, you know, with your little trailer, you know, and you look at all these big units and, 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 you know, just if only I had that camper or that RV or that boat or whatever. Well, today we're coming to 10th commandment and it's short and simple. Well, it's a little longer explanation, but it's pretty quick just here. You shall not covet. 
And most of the things that we wrote down or, or thought of when it comes to my life would be so much better if there was a degree of coveting that actually took place there. It's probably, coveting is probably one of the most difficult to identify in our lives. It's so subtle because it's hidden. It's not often seen. The, the outflow of coveting ends up happening in our lives, but so much of it is internal and it can be deadly, especially to our lives spiritually. And then it starts affecting the relationships around us because there's this discontent. There's, this, there's joy just ahead. If I just have this, it will be so much better. And it's a lie. It's a lie that coveting promises to us. I see it. I want it. And I'll do whatever it takes to be able to get it. Or at least to be able to keep dreaming about it as one day. And you know what? We're all guilty of breaking this commandment. Even you kids. When you see that truck or you see that video game, or you see that doll that someone else has, and it's just like, I want it, I want it. And you'll even at times, I love at times watching kids in nursery, and, and I, I understand that our kids at Harvest Kids in the nursery even today are little angels. They wouldn't ever think of going up and taking a toy. I, want, I see, I want, I take. They're already coveting. Where do they get that from? Their mothers, probably. Um, their fathers, you know. No, it's, and, and everyone is guilty of this. And you say, that's pretty bold. That's pretty rude, Melden. You don't know me. I'm a pretty giving person. I'm pretty, no, you're guilty of it. You are. And how do I know this? Because there has been a drop of Satan's rebellion that has fallen upon every soul. We are born with this sinful nature and a drop of that rebellion. And what is Satan? He's a possessor. He wants to possess. He wants to steal, kill, destroy. He's a possessor. And so because we have a drop of that rebellion on us, we by our very natures are people who covet, who want. And so here we have in Exodus 20, here we get the full, the full shovel here of this commandment. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. You know what this word is for us, this last commandment? It is a word of grace for our lives. It is a gift from God. You say, well, how is it a gift from God just to not do something? You have to look on what's the other side of this commandment. What's on the other side of coveting? Contentment. You see, the other side of this is, you shall be content. God wants us to be contented people, not striving, grasping, looking for that next greatest, best thing. No. This is a beautiful commandment. It is a gift from God. It's his plan for us. Just as all the commandments, what's on the other side of adultery? You shall enjoy great, be careful with kids in here, great relationships with your spouse intimacy lots of it great intimacy in that way that's on the other side of thou shalt not commit adultery yes something special something beautiful something glorious when it comes to the other side of thou shalt not steal it's you can be generous you want to instead of take things you want to give things and there's a joy and a peace that happens when we are giving people how about 
Thou shalt not lie. Hey, being able to live in truth and not wondering, oh, I have to cover my tracks. You tell one lie, tell another one, another one, and soon it's just this, this, this avalanche of lies that, that you have to kind of keep up. And, and this means you get peace. You can put your head down on the pillow at night. Like, aha. That's the other side of thou shalt not lie. And so here is you shall be content. And so God wants us to be content. And kids, I think there might even be something for you to fill out there. What's the opposite of coveting? You might need your parents to help you spell it, or you can see it on the screen. Contentment. It's a big word, but it means being satisfied. Not wanting other things. And God's desire is that we are contented people, not coveting people. But true contentment only comes, not by having a certain cushion in the bank, not by having a certain status or a name or whatever it might be, True contentment only comes as we find our delight in Jesus Christ. When we are satisfied in Him, regardless of what we're facing in our lives. God knows our needs. You know what He also knows? Our desires. And oftentimes we sing here, He's a good, good Father. He wants to give good gifts to His kids. And so He knows our needs and our desires. And He's a God that also promises, I will supply. Trust me. He created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows certain things that we're wanting that he's like, you don't want that. Instead, I have a better plan for you. But we short, cut ourselves short of, of what he wants and what, how he wants to provide. Now, some of you are sitting here and I already know it. You've checked out. You're like, I've heard this before, blah, blah, blah. These are truths. Yes, you know, um, you know if, if I seek God and God wants me to be content in all of this, but how many of us are actually experiencing this in our lives? How many of us are truly content? And we say, oh, uh, well, I am. Well, just hold on a little bit. Let, let's keep digging. Let, let's just keep exposing our hearts a little bit more. How oftentimes do we lose sleep at night? If you're losing sleep at night, you're not content. You're not resting and trusting in God. How about being anxious during the day? What about being worn out and tired? Because we're not getting our rest or, or, or we're just working so hard. We stress, we worry, we lust, we want more. We start cutting corners. We, we can't sleep. We get angry easily. We get mad at people around us, even God. Sometimes we let him have it. We get jealous. We medicate. We drink. We eat. We obsess. Where's the joy? Where's the power? Where's the victory that, that is promised in the Christian life? Well, James chapter 4 heard you just write this down. James 4 verse 1. going to just read the first three verses here. If you're real quick, you can look at it right now. But it says, James 4 verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Yeah, it's like this wrestling match going on. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You'll slander others. You covet and you cannot obtain. Look at the word coveting shows in there. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, and you do not receive, though, because you're asking wrongly to spend it on your passions. Your life revolves around you and what you want. And today, you know what? I honestly believe there's a lot of good people sitting here. You folks are good people. You're here on a beautiful, rainy Sunday morning. Pastor's smile. It was a great morning driving to church this morning in the rain, knowing people couldn't be out golfing and, you know, enjoying the nice weather. Instead, they have to come to church, or, or maybe it's just that pastors, you know, it just makes you feel better knowing that others aren't enjoying the day while we're hard at work. You know, I, I don't know. Beautiful, glorious day. You are good people. And yet the problem is, that goes on in our life, is 
What's going on? Why is this wrestle? Why is this fight going on? And, and that's where I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And, and we know this verse. And in fact, you're like, oh, I've heard this before. But encourage, I'd love for you to read it and have a pen handy, maybe underline something, a, a couple words here, because this is so oftentimes the focus that we get all messed up in here. Matthew chapter 6, it says, Jesus is saying these words, but, for, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, it's not the seeking the kingdom part that we're, we're having problems with. You're in church. You're, you're reading the word. You're, you're wanting to be a person that's learning and developing a stronger prayer life. And, and many of you serve and, and you give and you worship. And, and, and today there was an expression of your heart as we were worshiping, a declaration going on. And it's like, I want this. And, and, and the word that we really love in there, and, and you might even want to underline it because it's the word we love so much, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek God and, 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 and all these things will be added. So I'm seeking God. Where's the all? What's going on? Well, there's another word a little bit before that where it says seek. What's the word? Anyone? First, the kingdom of God. And see, that's the problem. We're seeking the kingdom of God, third, fourth, or fifth priority in our lives, and we're seeking all these other things first. It's seeking the kingdom First, and then we see all these things will be added. You see, we all come with certain entitlement and certain expectations. God, you owe me. Look what I'm doing here after all. I'm your faithful witness. I'm, I'm, I'm faithfully serving you. Look what I'm doing here. I mean, we don't verbalize this, but we oftentimes think this. But it's that prob the problem word in all of this is that word first. Is seeking God and purity and holiness above all things in your life, or is it second, third, or fourth? He says, seek first. And then these promises kick in, in our lives. Then we end up seeing God show up. Oftentimes, we only get really serious when we're needing something or when we're facing some kind of trouble. In the church where we pastored for 14 years in Alberta, it, was, it almost became a little sad slash comical, cynical, sometimes pastors, maybe sometimes you struggle with those same kind of attitudes, but we got, there was a certain family that you would see during certain seasons of their life. First of all, first time I met them there, they're like, oh yeah, we used to attend here before you came, and yeah, you know, and, 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 and you find out there's a crisis going on, and, you, and, and people gather around and love them, pray with them, and, and, and you see their spiritual lives take off for a bit, but then things start to settle down on the home front, and things start to, and, and then you wouldn't see them again. Sometimes a year, year and a half would go by, and then all this sudden they're back and, 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 and it's another crisis and so every time we would see them walking up the, the church walk it's like oh no what's the crisis because there'd be this long gap you know and, and it was like hey life is good again you know and, and that's not what it means and you say oh boy that's terrible that people would be like that but we'll often do it we'll still keep walking up to church we'll keep doing our things but there's no no real passion no desire to serve him or to seek him first it's all about a long obedience in the same direction Step by step, stumbling, falling, step by step. It's, it, it's as we keep going, it's falling forward. It, it's continuing to desire to keep making that progress and, and having others to, to come alongside. Deep relationship with other believers who are able to, to pick us up and help us and encourage us and wipe the dust off and maybe kick us in the butt a little bit, you know, and, and, and come on, let's get after this. Are you really seeking God first? Is he first in every area of your life? I've had men who have asked me that question in my life, and of course I've said yes. 
Oh, yes, God is first in my life. And then the Holy Spirit starts going to work and like, oh, yeah, there's this area and there's this area. We basically are looking for satisfaction, and this is how the world, and this is even how you and I can fall into this trap. We're looking for satisfaction, contentment in four basic places. And it's kind of a mixture of all of these things and, and somewhat different for each one of us. The first one is relationships. We think if I just have that right relationship with someone, with that person, if that relationship gets sharpened up again, a little bit, a little more, you know, then I will be more happy, more content. Things will go better. And so we're putting the load on, on someone else to meet those needs in that way. Another one is materialism, that, that, that we think we can buy that certain product. If we just get this, this status, or, or, or whatever it might be, that will complete me, and then I'll be satisfied. And, and this starts out, I mean, in, like, like the trailer illustration, going from a tent to a tent trailer to the next thing, to the big RV, you know, I mean, and, and just kind of thinking that next thing, it's just coming around the corner. But every time you come around the corner, it's like, oh, there's still have to keep going. Someone's changed the, the end zone markers, you know, like what's going on here? It's not working. Another one is therapy. I just need to get in touch with myself. I just need to, to deal with the stuff from my past and the baggage and, 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 and just come up with a new game plan on how to deal with it. Then I'll be fine. One is, and, and the last one is spiritual. That somehow if I get in touch spiritually, that God or some spiritual power will touch me, will change my life. The only problem is today we live in such a pluralistic society that God can be almost anything and everything. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of false paths that, that, that are spiritual that are leading you straight to hell or leading you straight to, to, to something that is not biblical Christianity. And see, people... People, including you and me, we're going to use all of these different things. And, and, and there is an important part about dealing with your past and, and, and getting help and biblical counseling. And that's what we, we desire to even offer at Harvest. And we have a, a growing part of that and, and help from our sending church in, in, in seeing that people are, are being directed biblically through biblical counseling, not just, just, just through the latest, you know, what trends and different things and, and how to, to, to do counseling, but biblical counseling. We're going to keep directing you back to the Word of God because we believe that even modern psychology can diagnose a lot and there's some help in that, but to truly bring change to the Christian heart, it comes through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God. That's where true change and true transformation can happen. Look again to Exodus 20, verse 17. It says, you shall not covet. And I'd love to give you a definition of what coveting is. Here's just um, some, some things you, or what you might want to write down in, in, um, as I give this. Covetousness is when you crave what you don't have. I think we have this. Do we have this on the screen? Do we not have that one? Covetousness is when we crave what we don't have. Maybe we don't have it. You feel, there we go, you feel unhappy and unfulfilled that you don't have it. Or you resent other people for having the thing or the things that you want or think you deserve. And it comes down to the end that coveting is idolatry. And see, this starts with this inner thought of, I won't be satisfied until I get that. I want it, and I must have it. Colossians 3, 5, and 6 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then verse 6 is a wake-up. It says, on account of, of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's serious, this coveting part. 
And it starts inwardly and it moves outward. It's loving something or someone or ideal in our heads, even in our hearts, not even necessarily in our action. It's loving these things other than God. It's saying, I won't be happy until I have this. And folks, this is the fight of faith that will, we will wage war with continually in our lives. And it is a fight that will just sap out the Spirit's power in our life and just cause us to just become lukewarm and just go through the motions unless we battle on with this. Do we truly believe God's Word when it comes to, to the warnings and the instructions and the challenges we have? And do, do we truly believe Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, where it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Do we believe that just that, that desire for more and more and more is going to satisfy? God's Word says it's not going to. It's vanity. But for some reason, we think we're special and we're the exception and we're, we're going to prove that, that money can buy happiness. It can't and it won't. So it's, is, is it wrong and sinful, are you saying, Melden, just to desire things, to want things? Like, should we not desire a, a house or a, a nice car or whatever? Is that wrong? Absolutely not. God has given us desires. Is it wrong to want to be married, to, to have a good marriage, to, to have kids, to have that promotion or to be successful in business? No, not at all. And there's enough scripture verses that, that remind us that in, in Proverbs 13, 4, it says, the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. You work hard, you'll be blessed. Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. You work hard, there's the, the reward, the blessing that comes. Jeremiah 29 says, work towards the peace and the prosperity of the city. We are to work towards that. It's not a bad thing to plan, to dream, to work hard, to, 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 to have certain goals and, and, and that, but, but it's all got to be in the right order. Who's first? What's first? And, and it, that place, placement of God is going to keep being challenged from first spot to somewhere further down on that, that priority list. You see, God's word warns us in Luke 12, 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or Matthew, 12, or Matthew 13, verse 22, talks about the deceitfulness of riches, the parable of the seeds. And, and, and Jesus is speaking there how, how, how spiritual life can spring up and come to life, but then the deceitfulness comes and it chokes out the spiritual life and, and our passions for God just get sapped up just like, like the heat on a, on a summer day, which is supposed to be coming this next, next week here in the Okanagan. It's supposed to get nice and warm, nice and hot again. And when you're outside, it just gets sapped up. And that's what the deceitfulness of riches, it just saps spiritual life and energy because we're coveting. And, and, and coveting leads to other things. It, it's so closely connected to, to breaking the other commandments. Basically, all of the other commandments as we covet, end up becoming broken if, if we continue to pursue that. We, we lust, we want, we commit adultery, we steal, we lie, we dishonor our parents, we, we don't honor God. We worship other things rather than God. And so coveting is the forerunner to just a whole mess of things. Oh, wow. That guy got another promotion? Oh, he just got another sales contract? How come he always gets the good sales contracts and, and, and the big money ones? They're, they're going on another vacation. 
You see, so oftentimes we do the opposite of Scripture, and the Scripture says we are to, to weep with those that are weeping and rejoice with those that are rejoicing, but oftentimes we do the opposite, right? When others are rejoicing, we're on the inside, we're weeping. It's not fair. Losers. Anyways, didn't like them very much anyways. Or, you know, I mean, and, and instead of, you know what, weeping, when, when, when they're, they're, they're weeping alongside of them, we're inwardly kind of rejoicing. There's a right. We secretly... Do you ever get a little happy? That may have scared you thinking that's the thunder roll of God. That's just the, the heating system. If you heard that, that interesting roll, that just... Um, but maybe that was God saying amen to, to what we were just saying, right? Um, uh, we get angry on the inside so easily, and yet we put the smile on our faces. Or do you ever get secretly that little smirk on the face of your heart? when your enemy, or even sometimes it can be a close friend, where it just seems like everything is going right for them, and it's going really well, and then suddenly they have a little misfortune. You know, there's maybe a little flood at their house, or, or, or they're in a little fender bender, or their kid starts to act up a little bit, and you're like, there's them right. Are you, are you ever like that? I am. And I, like the Apostle Paul, have to confess, oh, wretched, wretched man that I am. So evil. But I can mask it so easily. And I think this is something that possibly many of you may struggle with as well. I've had people in my life who have hurt me, who have said things that have done things that, that have treated me unfairly and roughly and in, in my past. I mean, all throughout, you're going to have that. It's going to happen on the playground. It's going to happen in business. It's going to happen in life of the church. It's just, it's, 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 it's life. And then we hear of some misfortune that they go through and secretly we're like, oh, hmm. We are to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. Kids, you need to listen to this story because it's on, it's on your little homework there. There's a, an old Greek myth, an old Greek story of a man who was offered whatever he wanted he was going to be given anything that his heart desired, anything that he wanted. He could have it. Wealth, power, success, lands, whatever it might be, he was going to be given whatever he wanted. But here was the catch. The only catch was, was that his neighbor would receive double of whatever that he would ask for. And he wasn't very excited about, you know, at him being kind of overshadowed by whatever his neighbor was going to get. And so he figured, if I ask for one big mansion, he's going to get two. If, if I'm going to ask for, you know, a million dollars, he's going to get two. I don't know if I really like that. So you know what he asked for? Be blinded in one eye. You think, wow. But so oftentimes, a covetous heart that continues to keep going and sliding like that ends up becoming a greedy heart in that kind of way. Now, possibly not a true story, but it can also often be a true reflection of what goes on in our heart. So let's look at this commandment again. It says, you shall not covet. And it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. So here are some of the things, three categories, three items. I encourage you to write this down. And then kids, ask your parents afterwards if they remember these three categories. They're pretty easy to remember. And so I'm really hoping that you'll all be able to remember this. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. So first one, house. Can you guys? You got it? Good man. Write down the word house. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Now this refers to items of securities, items of status, uh, items of comfort. 
It's being satisfied with what you have. So don't covet your neighbor's house. Next, it says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So the next one, spouse. So don't covet your, and, and this isn't dealing with adultery. We, we dealt with that a number of weeks ago, and, and I don't believe that this has to do with adultery per se. It has to do with that mindset that we so easily have that the grass is always greener on the other side. And you later on find out the grass is, is, is greener on their side because there's a septic field over there. You jump over the fence, you get there, and like, ah! you know, but, but it always looks a little greener, right? And, and it's just like, well, I wish my wife would act or react like that or wish my husband would love me or speak to me like how that man loves his wife or wish he would help around the house or whatever it might be. I mean, we think... We think that next person or that other person will complete us or just a changed version of what we have. No, it's being satisfied. It's being thankful to God for what he has given. So don't covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's spouse. And then thirdly, we go on to the next one. Don't put it up there yet. Um, thirdly, it says, as we continue reading, or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. You know, and so back in these days, I'm sure, wow, look at the racing stripes on that donkey. That donkey's looking, wow, you see the size of that ox he has? That's a big ox that he has. Wow, that, that's really quite something. And, and we're not to covet these things, and, or nor their servant or their employees. Oh, they're so gifted. Boy, if I only had a servant or employee like that, you know. Um, so I brought it into a little bit more modern terms you know, as far as technology or something like that, an easy way for you to remember. So things we covet, house, spouse, and mouse. You know, the, the, the old computer mouse that, that you would use to scroll on different things. And, and it has to speak so much to that because when it comes to gadgets and technology and stuff, you know, like that, or the abilities that, that some of our employees or workers or, or people might have, we want people who are up on these kind of things. And we want the latest and the greatest. We have to have the next iPhone when it comes out. You know, and, 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 you know, and, and, and there's an attitude that develops between, you know, people who maybe have an Android phone and say, oh, those people are just conformists. And then there are those people who have the iPhone who just... <laughs> Yes, those people can't afford an iPhone, but I can. You know, and, and I mean, there's all of this kind of thing that goes on, you know, and, and, and putting ourselves into different... And he's like, don't, don't covet your neighbor's stuff like that. Be happy, be satisfied with what you have. But it's that constant grasping, wanting, looking over the fence, greener pasture, seeing, wanting, getting. I mean, people move here. People move to the Okanagan thinking, this will satisfy. And that does look pretty good, doesn't it? Like, what a gorgeous piece of earth that God has given us to live on here in, in, in the Okanagan. And, and, you know, it just is so amazing. And people just keep thinking, well, if I move here, things are going to get better. But they move here and things don't get better. So they buy this. They do this. They think, if I have this pleasure, if I seek this, if I get in better shape, if I do all of these different things, they're like sugar highs. They give you a good buzz for a little bit. Well, but then you crash. They need another sugar high in order to keep going. And then you crash. That's the way life goes. And in the end, we're just worn out and tired. I mean, look at, the, look at this aerial shot. This was taken by David, one of the young men here in the church who was out flying this past week. You're like, oh, that's gorgeous. I live there. What a blessing. And yet how many of us have great dissatisfaction in our hearts? I mean, right now you can go to the farmer's market, you can go to roadside stands, or you can go to the grocery store, and you can buy cherries that were grown locally, strawberries, raspberries, 
um, fruit and vegetables just coming in like crazy right now. I mean, talk about just, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I just had to stroll out this morning in my, in, in, in well, I won't say, but I, I went strolling out this morning just in the backyard and I cut down, you know, a, a Saskatoon, I mean, a prairie boy gets to enjoy Saskatoon berries in his backyard in Kelowna. I mean, life doesn't get any better than that. I mean, and these ones just taste okay. I found this special spot up in the back 40 behind our house that I'm not going to share with you because I'm coveting them for myself. You know, but, but if, if kids want to enjoy some of these afterwards, have at it. They're, they're, they're okay. Not as good as the prairie version, but you know what, uh, the BC version, it's okay. You know, and, but you know, we are so blessed and we have so much and, and there's so much prosperity all around us and, and yet we have this stirring this discontent in our hearts. We hear all the time that money won't buy us happiness, and but we, we're going to prove that little statement wrong. Sadly, we hear almost monthly, it would seem, of famous and successful people in the eyes of the world who are dying. These are just some over the last number of years who, who have died. Drug overdoses, suicide, we're even missing Robin Williams up there. I mean, there was a guy who was funny, who you just think, hey, he has life, you know, just so amazing. And, you know, Prince recently, Michael Jackson. I mean, just, just I mean, gorgeous people. Well, maybe Joan Rivers. But, you know, I mean, you have the, these beautiful, amazing, successful, rich, have everything you want kind of people. And, and they're taking their lives. They're, they're overdosing on drugs. They're committing suicide because life has no meaning, no purpose. So how do we, how do we change it? How do we live differently? How do we not fall into this trap and get so suckered into it that it just sucks the joy? Where do we get the joy? Where, where does life and passion and fulfillment, where does it lie? How do we move from coveting to contentment? There's three ways. Romans 7, this is what I encourage you to read this passage. It's a tough read, but it's an important read. Where Paul, I, and we get a really interesting snapshot of the Apostle Paul, because what he's doing here is he's going through the Ten Commandments, and he, he's talking about the law, and, and he's doing pretty good with them. You know, he's going through the Ten, he's going through the Decalogue, and, and, and it's, you know, I'm not, not murdering anymore, I've been saved from that, I'm not committing adultery, I'm not lying, I'm not stealing, I'm doing all of this. But he comes to the Tenth one, and, and he mentions, I come to coveting, and it's like, ugh! busted. And it just exposes what's in his heart. The law, the Ten Commandments, exposes the sin in our heart. It can't do anything to repair it. That's the blood of Christ that fixes it. But it exposes the sin and it exposes what's going on. And then we see, we see this incredible struggle, this epic battle in verse 16 of, of Romans 7 where, where, where you see this, the things I do I don't want to do and the things I don't do I do and, and all of a sudden, and he ends up just blowing up and he's saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? Oh, he's just like, my heart is just, it's just bubbling out this junk that's in there on the outside. I have it together. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not murdering. I'm not lying. I'm honoring my parents. I'm, I'm honoring God. I'm worshiping God. All of this stuff. But he's showing this coveting heart. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can rescue me from this body of sin? I'm sick of it. Verse 25, Romans 7. But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Moving from coveting to contentment starts with repenting. With repenting, acknowledging the covetousness in our heart. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
Today, when you pull out of here and you see a nice car, you see, you know, I drive past some nice houses, all of a sudden, you know, it can start kicking in. Some of you, even you're coveting right now, it's like, boy, I wish I had one of these nice, comfortable seats in, in, in my entertainment room, you know, like best place I can sleep, you know, here in, in Kelowna, Sunday mornings, you know. Um, you know, and, and we can just be so coveting, in, in, and it just comes so quick, and, and yet it comes with, hey, admitting, it, and it's an ongoing confession, an ongoing understanding of repenting of these things because we continue to keep falling to it. We, we turn to Christ. We repent. We turn to Christ. Oh, wretched man, who can deliver me from this body of sin? But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. We repent that we are, we're not trusting God for our provision, for him to provide for us. We've got to go out there and we've got to make it happen instead of resting in his provision. It's, it's repenting of not trusting in his providence, that, that he works all things together for our good, that, that we give our best. We give that full shovel. We give it our best in what we're doing, but we leave the results to him. He's got our providence. He's got our, our lives taken care of. But we repent that we don't trust him in the way that we ought to. It continues on with surrender. So it starts with repenting, continues with surrender. It's in transferring the ownership over to God. God, it's yours. My hopes, my dreams, my desires, my possessions, my family, my status, my income. God, it's no longer mine. My hands off. Your will be done. And there's a sobering passage in, in Matthew chapter 19. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Comes to Jesus, young, wealthy, young entrepreneur more than likely. And he comes and he says to him, What must I do? He says, Jesus says, Well, Keep the commandments. And, and, and Jesus lists, don't, don't commit adultery, honor your parents, don't lie. One thing Jesus admitted, one thing he did not say for him to, to one commandment was coveting. He didn't mention coveting in there. Instead, he gave them a test. And, he said, and so he tests him in this, and, and he says, sell everything you have. Here he's testing this young man. Are you willing to give it up? Are you willing to walk away from it all? That is what surrender is about. That's giving it all to him and being willing to walk away. Are you willing to give it up? Are you willing to give up your hopes, your dreams, your possessions? Your... When you come to that point of surrender, that's, that's true surrender. You know, we talk about being sold out followers for Christ. That means anytime, any place, anything. Quit your job. Sell your house. Move. End a relationship that isn't right. Take a position that is beneath you. Serve in an area where, where you think that, you know, like, well, really, I've got more talent and ability. I really don't need to. No. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Surrendered life. Are you willing to do that? That's what it means to be surrendered. Is God to give it all to you? I don't like singing. Oftentimes we don't sing it here because I, I don't think it's good to lie in church that much when we sing, I surrender all. You know, I surrender all, you know, all to Jesus. No, it's I surrender all, but, and we have a little asterisk beside that, you know, and, you know, no, it's, it's not where it's at. It's, it's giving it all to him. And this is hard. This is daily because we keep creeping in the stuff into our lives. And it's like daily, God, it's yours. You see, but that, that's scary. Yeah, but remember, he's good. He's good. And he takes care of his stuff and his kids really well. And then finally, a deepening passion for Jesus. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. As we are repenting and surrendering, that's when the healing begins. 
but we need to trade the affections that we have been pursuing for another affection, and that affection is Jesus Christ. Seeking the kingdom of God first in all areas of our lives. And so I ask you today, how is your love for Jesus today? It's just kind of, eh. Don't expect a lot of victory in this area of, of victory and covetousness, and don't expect much contentment in your life. Just expect some more sugar highs and then some crashes. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus was thinning the crowds. You know, oftentimes when Jesus spoke, he, 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 was making some, he, he, he would speak pretty boldly because a lot of people were there for a good time and not necessarily a long time. And so here he's thinning the crowds in Luke chapter 14. And, and a lot of people were following, but you know what? They, just, they were there for the good show. They were just there. Hey, you know, is, is, does this person, you know, I love kind of the idea of what Jesus offers. And Jesus says to this, I mean, this is bold. I mean, space maker, you know, you preach this kind of stuff and people leave, you know, because, it, it, but it's what Jesus said in Luke 14, 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. He's just raising the bar about, you know, Jesus just isn't your forever friend. Just pray this prayer and, and just, you're going to start living your best life now. No, your best life now starts when Jesus is at the center, when he is our first passion and our first love. Apart from that, it's just, it's just religion. And he says here, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, what Jesus is saying here, when you read in context and understand what he's talking about, he's not, I'm not going to walk up to my son, Nate, and say, Nate, I hate you. I'm not going to walk up to my wife, dear Charlotte, and say, even though that was a great pierogi pizza you made for me last night, dear, I hate you. That's, that's not what he's saying. We're not, you know, I'm going to phone my dad today on Father's Day and say, oh, by the way, dad, I hate you. I love Jesus, I hate you. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying here is that my love for Jesus is so first and so first and primary in my life that the love I have for everyone else would appear to be as hate because my love for him is so strong and so powerful. It's like the difference of looking into the face of the sun, you know, which you can't for very long because you go blinded, that is so bright, so powerful, and looking you know, at the stars at night that are twinkly and nice and, and all of that kind of thing, but they're very easy on the eyes. But we look at that way, and it, it's just that unbridled, just my love for Jesus is first and foremost. When we have that, we're moving from covetousness to contentment. But it's hard. It's a journey. That's why we need others in our lives to, to walk with us in this way. But it's all or nothing. The most frustrating thing is living the half-hearted Christian life. You see, we want our best life now, but we're so blinded. We're so blinded by the covetousness in our hearts that we don't see that Jesus is our best life now. In an all-out pursuit of him, not for riches, not for name, not for fame, but for him. Being satisfied in him. And so, even to ask yourself, is there a growing affection in your life for Jesus, for others? other than your family, others who are within the body of Christ or at work or in our neighborhoods? Is there a growing affection? That's a good question to ask yourself. How about for his bride, the church? Do you love the church? He, he gave his life for the church. Is there a growing affection, a love for, for the bride of Christ? Do you have a love for the church of Jesus Christ? What's your treasure? What do you think about in the shower? 
What do you think about when your mind just kind of goes into that pause kind of thing? Is it, do we start thinking about Jesus at all? About Jesus Christ and him crucified? This morning as we were worshiping, just that one line, I quickly had to write, write it down just so I'd hopefully remember it. It's just so powerful that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. When I'm starting to feel insecure and, and weak and needy and like a failure or, or, or looking in the wrong direction, thinking what Christ has done, he has regarded my estate where I'm at right now and he has shed his blood for me. We keep coming back to Jesus. We keep coming back to the gospel. What, in Psalm 16, can we say like David when he said, apart from you, I have no good thing. We understand that when we have God, we have it all, but apart from him, everything else pales in comparison to the point that they're even considered not a good thing. That we have him first and foremost. And here in North America, some quick questions to ask ourselves. Where do I spend my time? What do I spend my time doing? Where do I spend my money? Those are two huge indicators of where our hearts are at. Check your bank statements, your credit card statements, your tax returns. If in the course of a month or in the course of the year, you're spending more money on your phone packages or your entertainment or your eating out or your fancy coffees or, or your kids' sports than you are giving to the Lord's work, just saying that could be areas where that needs some work. That, that's an indicator of what we value in our lives. And I've just listed a number of things. I hope, though, that your tax return at the end of the year or your financial statements reveal that you love Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna, that you love it in a, in a sacrificial and a giving way, and other gospel ministries that are around that we can have the privilege of supporting. In our weekly schedules, do we carve out time for the Word of God? We carve it out, you've got to work so many hours a week, we've got to put time in and working out and, and you know, time watching our favorite television shows. Do we take the time out for the Word of God for serving, the, serving within the body of Christ. You know, if, if everyone committed to two or three hours a week of service for the, for, for, for the cause of Christ and for the building of His church, we, we'd have overrun, we'd have way too many, and sitting in church doesn't count as, as, as serving unless you were serving before, after, or during. If we had that even, that, it would be amazing. Any church like that would, would have waiting lists for people to serve. And a church plant, just saying, offers a lot of opportunities for you to serve in very practical ways for the body of Christ. You won't be able to stop coveting and find true contentment apart from Christ. Just saying. You won't find, find that apart from Christ. As we continue to see Christ's death on the cross, his sacrifice for each one of us, his death on the cross for us as sinners, that he has reconciled us to God. He puts us into that place. And, and what does Romans, Romans 8 start out then? Because he's talking about, oh, wretched man that I am. He says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're forgiven. Over and over and over again. And I don't know about you, but I need it. I need to, need to keep going to the bank on that one. Continuing to repent and confess and say, oh God, I need, need more help in this. And, and he provides help through his word, through prayer, through his spirit, through the body of Christ. Having other men, other people holding me accountable in this, holding us accountable. This is vital. This is why we want to do real church. We want to be real people who are really messed up but are seeking the real Jesus and living in real authentic relationships with one another. Apart from that, it's just, just a roadshow, just something you do once a week. Something you go to, something you might serve and, and be a part of. It's, it's, it's sacrifice, it's giving it all, surrendering it all to God, and He is so faithful, He gives back. 
And the only hope we have is the gospel. Without him, there is nothing ahead but frustration and helplessness without putting Christ first. Do you know Christ today? Do you know him as, his Lord, as your Lord and Savior? That's where it starts. Again, outside of the help of Christ by being a believer in Christ and as believers without pursuing him in a passionate way, we're not going to ever be content. We're going to keep wrestling and, 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 and fighting from within and, and those fights usually move out into our lives. God knows your needs. He knows your bills that need to be paid. He knows your hurts. He knows your desires. and He is good. He wants to grant those to his children. But do you trust him enough for him to meet those needs? Is it your desire to move from coveting to contentment? I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time, and we're going to close our service with a worship song. But they're going to just sing the first verse of this song over you. Because there's some pretty powerful words in here where it... The words are, Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world that could satisfy. Through every trial, my soul will sing, no turning back, I've been set free. That might be a hard word for us to be able to sing. And so I'd love for them to sing it over for you and to spend some time in your own heart examining. Just where you are. And it starts with repenting and, and saying, oh God, search my heart. O oh, wretched man that I am, O oh, wretched woman that I am, deliver me from this body of sin. And thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, he will deliver. We pursue him. And I trust that then as you are asked to stand and to worship, that you will to sing this, not as someone who is, has perfectly progressed in this, but that is progressing. You haven't reached perfection in it, but there's a progression in your life. Father, now we come to you and we desire to look at our hearts because apart from you and apart from these truths this just becomes empty religion and going through the motions and thank you that Jesus came and he said that in you in him we can find life and find it abundantly into the full and we confess that we oftentimes cut ourselves short we go after other things that we think will be bring us satisfaction and joy. But it doesn't. And so we, we go for more and more. We repent of our lack of trust in you to provide. I pray that you would help men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, everyone here today, Lord, to, to do whatever it takes in making you first in their lives. That means saying yes in obedience to getting baptized. There's some here that, that need to say, yes, Jesus, you are first in my life. I need to follow you in obedience and baptism. Maybe it's in quitting something or starting something, or maybe it's just letting a, a, the, the battle down, the, the fight that, that's been going on, say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going, I'm just going to trust you, God. Maybe it's taking that child or that relationship and it's saying, okay, God, I'm... I'm done with it. I'm, I'm giving it to you. I surrender it all to you. It's my finances or my future. God, I give it all to you. I want to be a steward. You be the owner. You lead and guide and provide as a good, good father. And he will.